Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we have a bit of an interesting show for you because I'm going to be actually talking to uh, two people rather than our traditional uh, conversation with one guest. Some of you may have seen that a docudrama called Roe v. Wade was released at the Conservative Political Action Conference last month purporting to tell the true story of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion in all 50 states and then took down abortion laws right across the country. Now, there's been a lot of amazing books written uh, on on what actually happened during the Roe v. Wade decision over the years. Uh, One of the best ones is Clark Forsyth's book, Abuse of Discretion. And so this docudrama which was produced by Nick Loeb, essentially stated that they would be so true to the facts of what took place that the the words uttered by those playing the justices would be actually quoting verbatim what was actually said during the arguing of the case uh, and, and, and actually uttering the actual questions they asked of the opposing lawyers and the witnesses. And so to talk about uh, this docudrama, this film, and the story they're trying to tell, I'll be talking to uh, first John Richard Schneider, uh, who is a, an actor, uh, has been an actor for, for many, many years. He's worked on pro-life projects uh, in the past. And so he actually, uh, he plays Supreme Court Justice Byron White in this uh, docudrama. Uh, it's very, very interesting because Byron White is probably one of the pro-life heroes in a story that has very few of them. And so uh, Schneider agreed to come on and discuss uh, his role and and why he got on board with this project uh, with him. He has a long history also in Hollywood as one of the only people that is actually uh, anti-abortion and conservative. Then we're going to be talking to uh, Nick Loeb, who's actually uh, both the director and one of the producers of this film. Now, some of you might remember him because he's made headlines over the years uh, because he was in a relationship um, with Sofia Vergala, who is an actress on on the um, abysmal and horrifying TV show Modern Family, which promotes uh, all things corrupt. Uh, Anyways, he was in a relationship with her and they had a legal battle over uh, several embryos they created through in vitro fertilization. And it was through this custody battle over these embryos that they had created together that his pro-life convictions um, came to the surface. It's a very bizarre story in, in almost every way. And so I'll, I'll let Nick speak for himself because there's there's some very good reasons, some very personal reasons that he really wanted to embark on a project specifically about abortion. So uh, both John Schneider and Nick Loeb actually have personal connections to abortion in ways that they'll explain. And I really just wanted to talk to two people who are part of a, a very strange project in some ways, you know, a- attempting to to create an independent film on what took place during Roe v. Wade. And I really wanted to find out what the motivation was, what their personal connection to abortion was, and what the impact of this has been on the broader abortion discussion so far. So without further introduction from me, here's first my discussion with John Schneider. Yeah, I guess just to introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit, uh, could you give us a bit of an outline of, of your career and, and when you when you developed your pro-life convictions to begin with? My goodness. Hi, it's John Schneider. <laughs> and uh, I was, uh, of course, in what I think is still the best show on television ever, The Dukes of Hazard. so much fun. Uh, and then later Smallville and Dr. Quinn and Haves and Have Nots. But most important, I'm a dad, and I'm also a one of the co-founders of a wonderful organization called the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Mm. And in our 30, 39 years now, we have raised uh, right at $8 billion to help children's health care. So... Um, I'm a I'm a big advocate for for healthy children, so that that really would not coincide with uh, with being an advocate for abortion. There's there's nothing really in me that's ever ever been a uh, an advocate of of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's also nothing in me that 
believes I should I have the right to browbeat someone who does not share my opinion. Right. So uh, which I think is an important thing to underline because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it seems it seems like now more than ever, we've gotten into some. Uh, uh, some uh, world here where not only it, it's not OK to have a, a different opinion, someone has to be absolutely right and someone has to be absolutely wrong. Uh, and I, I think that's grossly unfair to uh, to both sides. You know, right. we're supposed to have a conversation. We're supposed to uh, we're supposed to discuss it, which is why I'm so I'm so pleased with this movie, actually. Um, that I, I hope we're uh, mm-hmm. we want to talk about. Have you seen the movie? Have you yes. seen it? OK. All right. Yeah, um, this is not the only pro-life project you've done. Uh, with, it's not the only storyline that sort of sort of circles around abortion. So I was very interested in in, in what what attracted you to this particular project, and and what makes it sort of a trend in, in in the different projects that you've chosen to affiliate yourself with. Well, people people come to me with, uh, especially in the world of Christian films, they come to me with. Uh, with various scripts and uh, I, I read them. And then I, again, I, I run it through my filter. If it's a, if it's a brow beating, we're right, you're wrong, then I, I won't do it. Um, however, I was part of a wonderful film called October baby mm-hmm. that um, it did really, really well, but it's, it's take was there's another option, which is adoption. Right. And and I'm a I'm a big proponent of that. I understand that that uh, uh, sometimes people people uh, plan to have children and they work really hard at it and they go to doctors and they do all kinds of things in order to be able to have children. And then I understand there's also times where people are told they're going to have a child and it couldn't couldn't possibly have come at a worse time. I get that. So what October baby was about was if you are told that by someone in a white lab coat, there is another option. Mm -hmm. So that's why, uh, that's why I was, I was very happy to do that movie. And I was delighted with the way that, that turned out. Um, This particular one, uh, I think what's so fascinating about this is this, this is just as much a story about the, uh, manipulation of public opinion, yeah, and the utilization of that manipulated public opinion for political use. What's... And I'm fascinated with that. Uh, I knew Norma McCorby, right? Uh, oddly enough, when I did Doonby, uh, right. I met I met Norma, right, and. I just like I I, I want to say most people, um, I was confused. Oh, Norma, I thought your name was Jane Roe. No, Jane Roe didn't exist. Jane <laughs> Roe is the female equivalent of John Doe. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know that. I, I guess the information was out there, but but I didn't know that. So I was a public who had an opinion that had been manipulated throughout my lifetime with regard to uh, Roe versus Wade. <laughs> uh, and and uh, when, when this script came around, and I, I find it fascinating that it's, you know, we've just gone through, or, and we continue to go through now, in my opinion, the, the exact same thing. Uh, public opinion is being manipulated uh, by everyone right now for personal and political gain, uh, which is which is my opinion. And uh, when I when I saw this film come together, I thought, my God, you know, if it weren't for if it weren't for the subject of abortion being at the heart of this, uh, a woman's right to choose or a, or a right to life, whichever this could very well this is a movie that could be very well done right now about um uh border patrol about uh, walls about mm. um election fraud or not uh so i i think it's a very timely film uh and not just in the in the world of abortion 
um, which I which I think I I guess Nick planned that, but it seems awfully uh, it seems seems like a wonderful coincidence. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on at the same time. It was interesting because just in the last couple of years, there's been more and more films coming out talking about abortion, talking about sort of the backlash to the sexual revolution, but most of them have been produced by the other side, right? You had sort of the smearing of Phyllis Schlafly in, in Mrs. America, where they made her out to be some horrifying, wicked racist, even though uh, nothing right. could have been further from the truth. You had another, then you had a hagiography of, of Gloria Steinem in which abortion was presented as this great liberating moment. And then you have Roe v. Wade, which is really trying to tell from what I could make out, four stories. Uh, there was the story of Bernard Nathanson and Larry Ladler. There's yep. the story of how Roe v. Wade was actually decided and what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, there's the story of Dr. Mildred Jefferson, which I, even a lot of pro-lifers don't know about and should. And then there's the story, of course, as you mentioned, of Norma McCorvey. So you have sort of four separate stories that are all compelling individually, uh, yep. all kind of together in this one film. What did you have to read and research? Uh, to, to to participate in this project because there's at least a, a dozen books that I can think of off the top of my head you'd almost need to know just to understand the full workings of that story. Well, I, you know, Mike, can you, is there enough time in your life to understand the full workings of all, of all mm -hmm. that story? Um, what we were encouraged to do, here's what Nick, what Nick told us is that all of the dialogue from the justices, uh, all of the dialogue in the, in the court, all of the, Everything that I was to say was documented as having actually been said. So we were we were encouraged really to read the read the script so that we wouldn't form. And I didn't really want to form an outside opinion. I had no notion of what was going on in, in the uh, Supreme Court justices uh, inner chamber. Uh, but apparently everything we said was, like I said, it was documented. So we were encouraged to study the script itself. Uh, I, of course, they knew that uh, Nick knew that I had had met Norma. So I had a, a uh, even though I didn't have any uh, connection with her in the film, there was a connection between John Schneider and Norma. And Robert Davi also was in uh, Doonby. So he had also met Norma. So I think we had a we had a unique perspective on the humanity that was Norma, uh, which helped me. Uh, of course, my my character really is was the only one who, uh, as far as I could tell, was totally unwavering in in his uh, his belief that birth started at conception, and he didn't waver on that. He didn't change. Um, yeah, you had one of the only real heroes of the whole story. Yeah, everyone else seemed to be um, even even uh, John Boyd's character seemed to be be able to be swayed. Is that right? Or swain? Mm -hmm. Swayed. Yeah, swayed. Swayed by not only public opinion, but uh, I love that they had the the uh, the mothers and daughters uh, uh, giving grief, you know, showing. <laughs> Showing that even if you're a Supreme Court justice, you know, dad can still be a bit of a buffoon at the dinner table. Um, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, but I did I did like that I was I was uh, I was true to my belief. Um, mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I did not wield my belief like a sword. You know, I had I had a strong opinion. I had strong opinions. I. I. Uh, I expressed them to the new justice coming in to Gutenberg. Loved working with Steve. Uh, loved working with John. I've known John Boyd now for probably 40, 42, 43 years. And it's the first time we worked together. When, um, with this whole story, one of the things I found interesting is, is so, so people in the pro-life movement at large will like they'll, they'll at least have heard of of Bernard Nathanson or probably have heard of the film he produced, The Silent Scream. 
of course, Norma McCorvey was, you know, in the news a lot again last year with that new documentary that came out about her. And there's a book coming out about her this year, I understand, by uh, the man she selected to be her official biographer. So many people will know right. Norma McCorvey. But uh, Justice Byron White is is one of those largely unsung heroes that deserves to be known. Uh, people deserve to know what he did, uh, how he tried um, to essentially... Uh, avert the decision that we inevitably ended up with with Roe v. Wade. What can you tell our listeners about Byron White, the, the man that you played, the justice that you played, to kind of pique their interest into, into researching him a little bit more? Because I knew a bit about him, but this sort of reminded me that there's a lot more to the man, and, and he deserves to be remembered far more than he has been. <laughs> well, you're, you're giving me a daunting task here. Um <laughs> <laughs> I know Byron was a was a hell of a basketball player. Uh, I know that I know that he was someone who uh, went for what he went for with all he had. He was he was fiercely competitive. But as far as being able to educate your listeners with regard to more on Byron, I'm afraid I'm falling short. Uh, I do know that he was uh, succeeded by succeeded by. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Ginsburg, which is kind of fascinating unto itself. It really is, yeah. It really is. <laughs> so uh, uh, it, it does seem to prove that there is indeed a pendulum and it does swing. Um, but that's really that's really it. I wish I wish I could tell you more. I don't think I could possibly tell you less. Um, but I do know that had uh, had. They asked me to do one of the roles that uh, that wavered, or one of the the roles that changed their mind. I would not have done it. When when you look at, at the entire project, and there's there's a lot of familiar faces in the project, and again, the material is really fascinating. One of the things I was interested in was how was this sort of received by the rest of the the Hollywood set? Because taking a pro life position at all is is obviously extremely frowned upon. Um, how do you how do you sort of navigate that in, in your career and how have you navigated that? Well, we I have a, a studio in Louisiana. Uh, we make our our own movies. Uh, I have uh, I have cut myself from the herd out there. Um, I am very happy to be able to say I do not uh, depend on nor require the adulation or even phone calls of those crazy people out there in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> So I, I uh, actually, and being from New York, being a, a Westchester County brat, first and foremost, uh, I rather enjoy the fact that I rub them the wrong way. Uh, my father taught me that uh, if, if, uh, if you didn't offend someone today, in a joking way, of course, but still, if you didn't offend someone today, you didn't say enough. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not part of that. And that's a decision I made. I don't understand the um, tendency for people to change who they are or who they, they publicly show themselves to be so that they can um, placate people they wouldn't really ever even have a hamburger with if, if they didn't have to. Right. Um, so I, I don't understand that whole that whole thing. I, it's it's hard for me to believe uh, that folks can be so uh, on such opposite sides of this of this equation. I had some a friend of mine a couple of days ago. Uh, I'd made a commercial years ago that never aired. It was actually before I made it on sixteen millimeter where a, uh, a man was on his way to go to work and he, uh, he realized his, his uh, dog was about to have puppies and it was inconvenient. So he aborted them with a vacuum cleaner uh, and then threw, the, threw the, uh, the bag in a trash can. When the trash can lid hit, uh, the voiceover in a, in a lovely female voice came up and said, the partial birth abortion, it shouldn't happen to a dog. Right. So... Someone suggested after we watched the movie the other about two weeks ago, they said, you know, you'd, you'd put an end to this whole this whole debate if it were about animals and not about people. Yep. Because for some reason, yeah, for some reason, 
you you say you're going to go do that to a to a puppy, and uh, my, can you imagine the the different agencies that would be on you? However, you can do it, and the the uh, apparently the the left is pushing harder and harder for that date to be moved closer and closer to actual birth. I have heard. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to believe that this is true. Maybe you can authenticate it or not. I've, I've heard that that uh, when the umbilical cord is cut is now into debate as as far as when someone becomes a a life. Is that? Is there any truth to that? I hope not. Tell me that's. Bull- that that's actually that's actually just a, a sort of um, twisting of a story that's just as as horrifying. The Senate has once again voted down the Born Alive Infant Survivor Act, which would simply mandate that medical care be given to babies who survive an abortion, which is a story that you looked at uh, on October Baby. So right. that's just that's a detail of of the fact that now the Democrats, I believe, four times in the last four years have rejected the idea that care should be given to babies who make it out of the womb alive so unfortunately not much during a failed during a failed abortion that's yeah. what uh, that's what that's from like not much of an exaggeration unfortunately and these are and these are folks who who are so concerned about the plight of the illegal aliens flowing into this country it's very selective uh humanitarian compassion sir oh i like that selective humanitarianism i think uh I think we should start a group. Hey, everybody, let's start. Let's start yeah. a group. The selective humanitarians. Yeah. Selective humanitarianism. <laughs> when you were looking at, at at this story, the Roe v. Wade story, um, from, from from what I what I could tell, the, some of the background material that I just sort of assumed were, was being used is probably the abuse of discretion, the history of Roe v. Wade by Clark Forsyth, uh, the hand of right. God, Bernard Nathanson's autobiography, uh, and I am Roe. By Norma McCorvey. And there's another book as well that, that reveals a lot of the information that the film att- attempts to cover, which is subverted um, by Sue Ellen Browder, who talks about how Bernard Nathanson and Larry Ladler persuaded Betty Friedan and the women's movement, or miraculously, just a handful of, of women's movement leaders to basically come on board with abortion, because prior to that, abortion hadn't been one of their issues. So when you're looking at the multiple ways the American public was essentially deceived, right? You've got the women's yep being bought off by a couple of men who are making millions of dollars uh, on abortion. You've got all the pressures that were brought to bear on the justices in the lead up to the, the retrying of the Roe v. Wade case. You've got Norma McCorvey saying that she was sexually assaulted when she admitted later she was in fact not. What was right. what jumped out at you the most? Like there's so much material there, it's almost hard to believe it's all part of a single storyline. But what was the what really jumped out at you as wow, I never knew that. I can't believe this is one of the lies we were told to get this passed. Well, that the statistics were true. Uh, I I really enjoy in the in the movie Roe v. Wade the the audacity of these two guys on the beach trying to pick right. up young women, bragging about the statistics that they made up about the back alley abortions that had happened and how many people who had died and how unsafe it was and how they were basically drinking a pina colada bragging on their BS. So that so that they could they could pick up a couple of teenagers. Yeah. Um, and so if if more there was a movie, The Manchurian Candidate years, not the not the remake, but the one way back when with Sinatra, where uh, uh, Gregory um, James Gregory played a senator, I believe. And he made up he just kept making up statistics and his 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 uh, his mother would poke him and say, no, it's, you know, make it make it higher. You know, it's got to get worse. It's got 68 percent, 73 percent of all Americans. So he was he was making up statistics on the floor of the Senate. And I thought that was wonderful because having not that he did it, but the fact that they called that out. That's the only time other than in this movie I've seen anyone actually address the fact that most of the stuff that is being delivered as being true right. and factual and painstakingly researched is actually made up on the spot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. talk about fake news. Talk about really fake news. I mean, my God, 
<laughs> well, yeah, for the listeners who aren't aware of, of, of what you're referring to, essentially Larry Ladler and, and Bernard Nathanson uh, invented the number of back alley abortions that were taking place. Like they have no basis in reality whatsoever. Historian Dr. Daniel K. Williams uh, of the University of West Georgia, who wrote the book uh, Defenders of the Unborn, which was published by Oxford University Press, uh, looked as hard as he could, could not find an exact number, but it was probably 10 times less than what Bernard Nathanson and Larry Ladler said. Same thing when when Dr. Right. Marvin Alasky wrote the history of abortion rights, a social history of abortion in America. Same thing. He figured maybe 120,000 illegal abortions a year. They were claiming up to a million and it said that thousands of women were dying. And it was just right. simply made up and the media ran with it. Well, it's it's uh, it's fear tactics. Um I read a book uh, years ago called The Disaster Lobby. And in fact, I, I used a picture of it. I've got a, a, a very funny country song, How Did You F That Up? And uh, I have a picture of me with a big pair of shears cutting off my nose despite my face. Right. Um, and that was the cover of the book about the disaster lobby, about Ralph Nader, about, about all kinds of things that were put forth as true. Um, that people reacted to, um, that changed changed people's lives. Certainly not as as big as this issue, but still, people who we used to say, you know, if it had a staple in it, if it was printed, it was probably true. People actually believed it. Um, I didn't realize uh, that it was so pervasive during this period in our, our history 70, 74, 73, 74, 75. That uh, that people were manipulating the media to such a degree, and we are still people are still quoting those back alley abortions. People are still, yep. you know. So so what they did, folks who were listening, what they did is they made it so that listen, if a million girls are going to have abortions anyway, why shouldn't they be safe? Why shouldn't they be sanctioned by the That's medical right. industry? So if if you take that at face value, if that were true, then I, I think I would have a tendency to agree with it. Not in my house, but I would I would say, you know, I, I understand if if this is happening so many times, if during the, t the, the time it took to have our conversation today, 500 14 year olds died in a back alley we'd have something to talk about but that's what they did they painted that picture so that it was it was not a right to um and that's why one of the things i love about this movie it, it they didn't actually say this but this is what i gleaned from it they weren't talking about the right of the of the baby of the fetus to have life. They were talking about the right of the mother not to die in a back alley somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. Basically what, what their claim was in their was marketing, that, that was their marketing plan. Yeah. Yeah. Like and you don't ban abortion, you ban safe abortion is basically the law. And they still use the same line today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh it's it's a uh it's a travesty. We've got we've got wonderful options out there. The the uh, as October baby stated we have uh you can you can put your baby up for adoption i've known several folks who have done that they've gone full term they've had their they've had their babies and they have given them up immediately for adoption that to me is a heroic gesture yes that is something that should be applauded and held up for all to see uh, I don't think it should be a secret. I don't think it should be sequestered away. You know, this is a this is a, a terrible option you've had to take, but it's better than dying in an alley somewhere. You know, that's mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and and it happens. It happens a lot. I don't know the number. I'd be guilty of doing what they did. But um, I do know that for for a number of decades, we we had a belief here. We may still have the belief here that um, you have to go out of the United States to adopt a child. Yeah, that's because, right. Because what? There are none here. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. Well, a couple of years uh, there ago, are the plenty here, and and our 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 children here. I mean, our our uh, 
get off topic here, but uh, but human trafficking is prevalent here in the U.S. The little the little blonde hair, blue eyed babies are being are being stolen all the time. Those and sold into yeah. into slavery. Um, but you know, they put this wonderful, it's not a wonderful name, but they put kind of an innocuous name on it, human trafficking. What is that? That is that is stealing people and selling them into slavery against their will. That's what that is. It's slavery. Um, so if you have a a full-term pregnancy. Or if you have a, I guess it's, uh, gosh, I, when I lived in Cal, one of the reasons I left, uh, someone was debating, uh, they were examining babies in a dumpster, try to, trying to determine whether it was murder or illegal dumping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read trying that to figure well. out when they were, when they were, um, you know, aborted is really the wrong word too. When you abort a mission, it's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do this. No, you've already done it. You're already you're already in in the race. You're already in the game. You can't just decide you are going to abort, turn back, turn your car off, pull over to the road, land your plane, and no longer go on that trip. You are on that trip. I think. No, I, that's 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 definitionally true, right? At the end of the day, when, when they talk about planning parenthood, right, the discussion about abortion isn't the discussion about contraception. You're not discussing whether or not to bring a life into the world. You're discussing what to do about a life that already exists. So it's functionally, yes. it's functionally by definition, a different discussion. And to your point earlier, uh, there was a columnist in the New York Times who's pro-choice who wrote a column a couple of years ago who actually said, it's a shame if you look at the adoption waiting list going five, six, seven years long, with couples waiting, and then you look at the abortion rate and you realize that most of these children are not actually unwanted. Uh, the concept of an unwanted child is an outdated one because somebody wants that child. And if the mother Amen. or the father will give it a chance, somebody would love the chance to love that girl or boy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, it's marketing. The marketing, and there's, there's, a, there's a bit in the movie about um salesmanship you know not not forcing people to have abortions but kind of upselling people into a uh uh for lack of a better term a, a, a more expensive car you don't you don't really want to have the baby it's it's inconvenient you don't want to have the baby now let's do something about it now right you know right. let's you know we can we can still do something about that right now you know let's get together and do something now, I will tell you that when I was uh, when Dukes of Hazard first started, um, I got into a situation and I don't to this day know because I'm pretty much of an idiot. I was 19 years old. Uh, I was I was told that a girl I had seen was needing money for an abortion. To this day, I don't know if it was true, but I did pay for it. So I did. I did write a check back in 1981, right? 82. Um, so I'm 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 bringing that up in case in case someone knows that 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 and I'm unaware of it. But I want to I want to cop to that. You know mm -hmm. that was that was something that that. Uh, but like I said, I had <laughs> just prior to that, a uh, a woman had the uh, had filed a paternity suit against me and uh it was someone i had seen we use the biblical term i had seen um problem was uh, that the child she was claiming that was mine was uh, eight years old and he thought i was 24 and i was only 18 so i did not sire this child at 10 right so <laughs> so there there are predators of all sorts out there um i guess i guess is what i'm saying to, to, to finish this off, I'll, I'll circle back to, to my first question. So when you talk about, um, you know, and back in 1981, um, you know, you potentially paid uh, for an abortion. When was it in your in the, the span of your very long career? When was it that you you became pro-life or thought about the issue for the first time? Right? What, what, what took you from the man you were then to the man you are now? 
Well, seeing all my my uh, lovely Children's Miracle Network miracle children in hospitals certainly certainly uh, helped lead to that decision. But my youngest child, Karis, who is 26 now, uh, I helped birth her with a midwife. So being being part of that process being the first person to touch this life, which I was. The midwife made sure that I was the first the, the first contact this wonderful little girl had was with her daddy. Um, there, there would be no way in the world I could ever, and I tell you what, if people did that, I still to this day don't know why fathers have been in movies and television shows and perhaps in life taken away from that process. Right. Uh, that is not a process that should happen alone. That is a process. You should be looking in, into the mom's eyes. You should be holding hands. You should be, uh, you know, she loves you and hates you because she's going through more pain than ever before. And it's wonderful at this. I mean, it is an amazing process and once you have seen it even if you it, 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 there is no way in the world you i don't believe that you could back up on that is a life and that has been a life since before i first felt her kick i remember you know that wonderful experience of feeling the baby kick you put your hand on the belly and this little little life is in there what a what an incredible miracle yeah um, and can children be an inconvenience? You bet. <laughs> yeah. Can they be the most amazing thing? Is, is, is childbirth while we, why we are here ultimately? Perhaps. Yeah. Love is rarely know. convenient. Say that again. Love is rarely convenient. Love is rare. Exactly. Right. You figure out, you figure that out. Uh, yeah. So. So, like I said, I am a. Uh, I'm very proud of this film. I I loved. Uh, I love the final product because it is so complex. It does talk about a lot of things. Um, I think it is a a conversation starter mm-hmm. um, on many levels about many things. So, and I, and I do think that that's what uh, particularly these these kinds of films should be. Right. Right. Uh, and and this one is that. And uh, I'm I'm delighted to be part of it. And like I said, I am not uh, I'm I'm not going to hate someone who disagrees with me, but I will make sure they are aware of other alternatives before they make their decision. It is current. It is their decision. You must wear a mask, but you can have an abortion. What? 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 (laughs) Priorities. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, thank you so much for being so generous (laughs) with your time. You're very welcome. And uh, I'm going to go read on my character now. I feel I feel uh, so ignorant. So I'm going to go learn more about (laughs) Byron. And you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for giving light to this. Really, I think unusual film that uh, I, I hope will be around for a while and cause lots of uh, lots of discussion at the dinner table. Yeah, absolutely. You have a wonderful day as well. Bye bye, ladies and gentlemen. That was my conversation with American actor John Schneider, who plays uh, Justice Byron White in the docudrama Roe v. Wade. Next, I'll be talking to American businessman Nick Loeb about why he decided to embark on this project, what the inspiration for it was, and the impact that he thinks it's making. First question I have is, what made you passionate about the pro-life issue? Were you always pro-life, or did you come to the position later? Uh, no, uh, you know, I, um, I started off life, you know, I, I grew up in the Northeast, uh, 45 years old. So even a lot of the conservatives around me, uh, were pro-choice. I, I grew up pro-choice. I was taught, um, when a woman gets pregnant, uh, there's just a, a bunch of cells, um, and there really was no baby there. And so I never really thought abortion was a, uh, a bad thing. 
it really wasn't until I got older, uh, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties that I began to have a change of heart, um, on the topic and the issue. So, so no, I've never been, uh, pro-life my whole life until, until, you know, the last, you know, 15 years, let's say. What was the catalyst for you becoming pro-life and changing your views on that? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of a, you know, a one thing that, that convinced me. It was sort of a myriad thing of over some time. So I, I was involved with um, two girls who had abortions in my 20s, mm. um, which as I grew older uh, would haunt me and I would have dreams of my child at the age they would be now, which I continue to do every year. And I think that was a, that was maybe um, something that already always sort of bothered me. And then as I got older and the Internet became uh, sort of more widespread used and more things are online and you can see hear a baby's heartbeat the first couple of weeks. You can see in the first month there's arms, hands and you can see it's not a clump of cells or a gob of goo. It's a life and it's a human being that we're killing. And so I think over that period of time you know, I, I changed and I, and, and, you know, I went, you know, I went through different cycles and different periods of, you know, I went through, okay, well, you know, I'm pro, I'm not, you know, pro-life. I'm, you know, um, I'm personally pro-life, but, you know, if a woman wants to have an abortion, she should be able to have an abortion. That used to be, you know, I went through that phase. Right. Right. So, right. And, and then somebody came up to me and like, Oh yeah, that's great, Nick. So, um, you know, do you rob liquor stores? I'm like, no, but it's okay for other people to rob liquor stores. Hmm. And I was like, well, you got a point there. <laughs> and so, you know, I, you know, it was an evolution, right? And, and, to, and, and to a point where, um, you know, now and purely a lot of it's based on science for me today that, you know, life begins at conception. It's a human being and um, it's an innocent baby. We shouldn't be killing them. So what was that evolution like uh, when all around you, because you're from you're from um, New York and the people, the crowd that you run in is is largely pro-choice. What was it like to be changing your mind on this position and having most of the people around you hold the opposite position? Well, like well, like most people, in, you know, in New York, we don't talk about the issue. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I didn't wear it on my sleeve. And, you know, um, it probably... Probably really my positions really didn't become public until I had my own personal battle fighting for the lives of um, two female embryos uh, that my ex-partner was trying to kill. And so that became very public. And um, and so, no, I think a lot of people didn't understand it, don't look too favorably on it. Um, And and it's been it's been challenging. So, you know, they're not, um, you know, I'm not a favorite of a lot of people in my circles. (laughs) Well, speaking of not wearing it on your sleeve. Yeah. Besides this public battle uh, with with um, your your former partner, you've also just put together this project on Roe v. Wade. And and so what was the process of putting this project together? Because from what I could determine, uh, there's really a four stories going on here at the same time, right? You've got the story of Mildred Jefferson. You've got the story of Bernard Nathanson, who you play. You've got the story of, of, of the inside story of how the Roe v. Wade vote went down. And then you've got the story of Norma McCorvey. So what was the process of deciding to do a docudrama style film on this to actually getting there? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you know, sort of first, you know, wearing this on my sleeve, I felt it was already out there in my personal life. I had nothing more else to lose at that point, right? So, yeah, right. Why not, why not make the movie? And I, and when I went to go make the movie, you know, you know, you know, somebody started to pitch me the idea of doing Roe v. Wade. My first reaction was, well, you know, I'm pro-life. Why would I do a pro-choice movie, right? Because I think the reaction from all Americans is that Roe v. Wade is a is a pro-choice movie story right it's the story right. of legal legalized abortion in america and i think it's the story that everybody knows that that, that they don't know <laughs> and so um you know when we went to go make the movie you, you can't make a movie on a court case or a thing you know movies are made on characters and people right people you have to tell the story of somebody um right and, and it really isn't the story of i'm not sure if you ever had a chance to see the film but it, it, there's a huge misconception out there. Um, it's not the story of Jane Roe or Norma McCorby. Um, because in real life, she had nothing to do with Roe, right? She, right. Like literally in real life, 
they, they found the girl, they had a meeting with her and never talked to her again. So in, a, in, in the movie, guess what happens? They find a girl, they talk to her, they meet her, and then they never talk to her again. So she's literally in two scenes in the movie, maybe three. And, and so we, we wanted an accurately portrayed version of historical version of how the events went down. Um, Mildred um, is, is a much bigger character we don't really truly tell, you know, we briefly touch on her story, but really the, the story is told through the eyes of Bernard Nathanson because it is a pro-choice story. And we told the story about the pro-choicers, how they got it passed, and then how it was decided. And Bernard was instrumental in that. I mean, he was the founder of NARAL, uh, his best friend, essentially was the father of the abortion movement mentored by Margaret Sanger. And these two guys were instrumental in getting Roe to the courts and getting it passed. And so we tell the story of Roe through the eyes of Bernard Nathanson, and we do follow his life journey and life path through his conversion. Right. Um, you know, Mildred Jefferson was, was, a, was on the other side trying to fight against it. Um, you know, we get into a little bit of her backstory, but not a tremendous amount. You know, she was the first black woman to graduate Harvard Medical School uh, and the second president of the National Right to Life. Uh, and her story was interesting to me. I had to tell, you know, parts of it in this movie uh, for two reasons. One, um, she wanted her position on fighting for life was in order for them to win, they would need to take God out of the argument because life, it should be about science, that life begins at conception. And, and, and every character in the movie has a different opinion. You've got Father McHugh, who's in the movie, who believes something different. That should be about God. And so having the, her perspective on that issue was, I thought, interesting. So at least there's a character for everybody in the movie. Right. On the other side, then you've got her her main motivation of actually fighting this battle is because she she comes down and she'll clearly tell you it's the number one killer of African Americans in this country. And you know, stopping abortion is saving her race. And that is um that is her fight. And for those I felt were very, very powerful concepts that are not always in the pro-life argument. And since she was so pivotal of a role, the second president of National Right to Life, um, and that she'd also broken, you know, ceilings, you know, glass ceilings and, and barriers for African-Americans. I also find it interesting, you know, if she was pro-choice, um, everybody will have, would have heard of her, right? I mean, every time right. oh, yeah. in history, an African-American breaks a barrier, they become allotted. And we hear about them and, they were revered and talked about. No one's heard of Mildred Jefferson um, because she's pro-life. And, and I'll tell you, it is what she went through, forget her stance on pro-life, but what she went through to get into Harvard at that time, not only as a black person, but as a woman was incredible. And then all the racism she endured through her residency um, and getting a position, and she, you know, she swallowed it hardcore um, and she did it. Her position was because I'm not going to throw a fight. I'm going to play the game. I'm just going to work hard because I'm paving the way for future generations of women and black women to come. And she was really an amazing person. What, uh, what, how did you find the story of Bernard Nathanson to begin with? Did you read the hand of God? Did somebody give you one of his books? How did you run into his story? So um, in order to make the movie, we, I mean, I ended up reading over 40 books, uh, including The Hand of God, Aborting America, all of Bernard's books. I've read his interviews, letters. Um, you know, when you're researching the history of Roe, um, really the first person you find who's really the, the leader and the driving force, which I call the father of the abortion movement, is a guy named Larry Later. And... And so that's who you'll find first in your history is really the, the pioneer. Without Larry later, you probably would not have had Roe v. Wade. Um, and when you read Larry's books, you find out his best friend 
with Bernard Nathanson. And these two guys are best friends. And Larry got Bernie <clears throat> to uh, help find uh, Mayrow. Um, and then when you start reading Bernie into Bernie's life, you find him to be a much more colorful and interesting character. Um, I, I found Larry to be very one-dimensional, um, to be the person to utilize as a protagonist. Also, Bernie was fascinating um, because he actually, you know, although Larry was Harvard educated, you know, Bernie actually was not just an activist. He actually went out and got things done and had more motivation. And then he also had a change of heart um, and having a character uh, in, a, in a Hollywood movie that has an arc is, is pivotal when you're writing a story. Uh, Larry had no, no real arc to his life story. So what's uh, what's been the reaction to the project so far? Um, I mean, there's only been a couple of reviews out since we only showed it um, so far. Premiered it at CPAC. Uh, the reviews have been phenomenal, um, and uh, and a couple of the journalists really dug deep into the historical parts of this and the accuracies. <clears throat> you know, because when we were making the movie, um, we had a couple media outlets who had stolen the script. Uh, and they were coming out with articles saying that we lied and made up a lot of stuff. Right. So to combat that, um, we actually, on our website, put a link called Fact Check. So any scene in the movie that you say, I don't believe it, that didn't happen. You can go to the website, click on Fact Check, and they'll give you the actual source material of where that came from. Final question is, in this whole process, I know you've talked about about your personal um, relationship to abortion. You've talked about it in interviews. You just mentioned it earlier. To what extent did that affect your performance or any part of your performance as Bernard Nathanson, who also went through the same thing, but in a much more intimate way, since he actually aborted one of his own children? You know, tremendously. I mean, although I didn't physically abort one of my own children, I was... Uh, you know, and nor did I have <clears throat> control over whether the women had abortions or not. I was uh, instrumentally involved and I did nothing to stop it. So I, I had a hand uh, in the murder of my own children. And so that had a, a profound effect on me. Uh, and especially, um, and I used that in the film. Um, have you had a chance to watch? I mean, there's a scene in the film where he sort of makes the realization that he killed his own daughter, um, which is uh, sort of at the end of the climactic part of the film. And so, you know, during that scene is, is where I used a lot of that. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this with us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time too. Ladies and gentlemen, those were my conversations with actor John Schneider and both actor, producer, and director Nick Loeb. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show. If you want to check out past shows, head over to LifeSightNews.com and click on the podcast tab. You can find us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thanks so much for joining us, and we do hope you'll join us again next week.